Hey, this is Carl Franklin. This is Richard Campbell. Guess what? What? We're going to be at Dev Intersection May 18th through the 21st in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yes, we are. And it's a lineup of a lot of .NET Rocks uh, guests from the past here. Ward Bell's going to be there. Chris Langford's going to be there. Yep. Paul Sheriff. And of course, Scott Guthrie. Brian Noyes. Mm-hmm. All of our friends, folks we know. And uh, it's like two weeks after Build. Yeah, that's a great time to have a conference. Absolutely. All the build keynotes are coming. So yep. we're going to be able to see all the latest bits, everything that just came out of build a couple of weeks later, uh, hopefully with some more detail in it. So it's going to be really interesting to see what we actually get at the Scottsdale Princess. Mark Miller's going to be there. Yes, he is <laughs> doing a little biology of UI, which I think is very cool. I've been over at his house watching him develop this course. And man, is it amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, I believe I'll be doing the Xamarin Forms workshop, will I not? You will indeed. And of course, we close the show every time with the 64-bit question. 64-bit question, the game show you've never seen before, and you'll wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why not. So if you'd like to join us, come out, out to Scottsdale, uh, go to devintersection.com and register right away. And if you register for a workshop as well, you get your choice of an Xbox One or a tablet. There's a bunch of different gadgets you get. Do a conference attendance and a workshop. Yeah. All right. We'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1114, with guest Mark Hoffman. Recorded Friday, March 13th, 2015. Hey, 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 it's Carl and Richard. How you doing, Richard? I'm fine. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to this show because I feel like we've been doing some good work exploring some of these cross-platform mobile apps, but uh, my head is really in space-based power, the show we're going to record for Thursday. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. It's funny you say that because my uh, Better Know framework is kind of related, so roll the music. Uh-oh. All right, buddy, what do you got? Richard, you're into this uh, game Kerbal, right? Uh, Kerbal Space Program, yes. Tell us about this game. You know... Uh, it's still in beta. It has been for quite some time, and it is a actually a simplified space game. So the Kerbals are little, they look like Bart Simpson, to be honest, mm -hmm. on the planet Kerbin in a different solar system. Um, the gravity's lower, the planet's smaller, the speed of light is slower. And I only tell all those things because the physics of spaceflight are very accurate. And in the game, you are running a space program. So you are getting funding and building spacecraft for various missions uh, out of components that you research and develop yourself. And then you can actually fly the spacecraft as well. Now, do you have to be sort of mathy to do to play this game? Is it that real? Is it like a game scientists play or can anybody play this I game? I think anybody can play it. You end up learning about orbital mechanics. You don't have to know a lot to make the basics work. Uh -huh. But as you go further down the path and trying to explore other planets and things, all of a sudden arrow breaking matters and the uh, angle of insertions matter. And I've, I've read stories that kids have gone out and, and borrowed books from the library on orbital mechanics to be more effective at Kerbal. The thing that's cool in Kerbal is that it, it is very community driven. There are all kinds of, of, of plugins and things you can get. The programming in it's very text-based. I've, mm. I've even done a little hacking in it myself. It's it is Minecraft for space geeks. And and are the graphics good? Like you feel like you're out in space. 
the physics and all of that. The basic graphics set that it comes with is not that impressive, but if you want to, you can get a plug-in that will make it dramatically better. Huh. It's cool. So it's totally up to you as to how you actually want it to look. But I'll tell you, there I have absolutely had moments when I've successfully stabilized an orbit around Mun, which is the equivalent of the moon, and the sun comes up off the other side of Mun as I'm getting ready to do my landing, you get chills. It's funny. Well, uh, actually, I found something that somebody built that is related to this. If you go to tinyurl.com slash Kerbal Controls, and that's K-E-R-B-A-L Controls, somebody has basically put together a console for playing this game that includes joysticks and buttons and sliders and knobs just like you would see in the cockpit of a spacecraft awesome yeah so one of the things that's cool about kerbal is generally you play it in third person you're looking at the rocket from the outside and so forth and that gives you a huge advantage about knowing what's going on but the interior of the spacecraft are laid out and if you want a challenge try doing a landing on a moon from inside the spacecraft with just that little window you can only see so much way harder than when you do it third person looking out where you can look all around the spacecraft the whole time mm. so this would give me real controls for it too so now this isn't a product that's for sale right this is something that somebody made right? it looks like somebody's hacked this together with some arduinos too right that's cool but it's a great story it's on hackday.com and uh, I thought it was so cool. It came across my news feed and I sent it to Richard and I said, you probably already bought one of these. And of course, they're not for sale, because, but it does spark the imagination and shows how the community is really rolling with this thing. Yeah, I, I can't wait till it's finalized, but uh, it's a cheap game and is one of those things, you know, the, remember that couple of um, geek outs we did ago when we did the, the MMS mission? Right. With Craig Tooley, the yeah. guy who actually helped build it, who I now, they just launched that mission like this week. Oh, wow. And between the time that we recorded that show with Craig and we're talking about that and today, I've played so much Kerbal that when they talked about the Atlas V with mm -hmm. the Centaur rocket and the burn sequence they needed to do, I knew exactly why they needed to do that burn sequence. That's really cool. All right. Well, anyway, we've wasted enough time on that, but I thought it was so cool. I just had to show you and show everybody too. Thank you, buddy. Yep. So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1102, and that's the one we did with Troy Miles when we were talking about the Ionic Framework. Right. And this comment comes from Jonathan Gold, who says, Hey, Carl and Richard, I've been looking for an opportunity to leave a comment on your site to thank you for all the great shows and following the Ionic show with Troy Hunt. I finally have my chance. In 2007, I started listening to .NET Rocks. Dude, that's eight years ago. Wow. And progressed from writing VBA macros to front-end web development. Earlier this year, I was assigned my first .NET project and took advantage of C-Sharp, TDD, Link, Generics, Git, and NuGet. Dude, wow. first .NET project. That's crazy. What a luxury, too. It's just like you had all these great tools around you now, and you went for it. Yeah. The project was a success, and the customer was happy. In early November, my employer announced a round of limited restructuring and terminated my employment. Hey, nice reward. Yeah, really. Luckily, your shows on AngularJS and PhoneGap inspired me to take on and learn both these technologies in depth. And today I'm working for a small software company using Ionic to build mobile apps for both iOS and Android. Cool. And while I started using Ionic before the show, you provide the necessary background to take a full advantage of it. And I would agree with Troy that Ionic is truly amazing. Since I started using it, I've been able to quickly achieve impressive results. 
So thanks for the great shows and for keeping us informed about what's happening in our industry, like reading and writing. Who knew that listening to podcasts, especially .NET Rocks, would pay off? Who knew? Yeah, really. I, I had no idea. And I, I, <laughs> seriously. You made them. Well, yeah, but you know, like everything else that you do, you try things and some things stick and some don't. And we just happen to be in the right place at the right time and do a good job. Absolutely. And by the way, there's a PS on this comment too. He says, while many of your shows mention drone technologies, I'm surprised that you've never done a geek out on drone technologies or talked about Daniel Suarez's book, Kill Decision, which is a book I have read. Believe it or not, we're going to. Yeah. Well, you know, the drone geek out, I haven't put that up yet. Well, I actually have a special guest for this. I know a guy who builds software for drones. Oh, interesting. He's an AppV Next guy. And, And that's what John's suggesting too, is we get Daniel Suarez on there as well, who is actually made it known. He knows his way around Visual Studio. So there's some interesting possibilities there. Yeah, yeah. But I got, you know, the Google moderator tool that I've been using for the geek outs, I got to put a drone show in that list. I haven't put one in. We definitely got to do that. So Jonathan, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or with any of our mobile apps, because we've got them from Android, Windows Phone, and Windows 8 and iOS. Richard, I'm so excited about this show. Every once in a while, something comes out of left field for us anyway, and just blows our mind. And this is one of those things. Uh, Mark Hoffman is co-founder and chief architect at Rem Object Software. He's responsible for the overall technical direction and vision for all of their products, and also the team and project lead for the Elements product group and the designer of Oxygen, the programming language, their programming language. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Carl. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. And um, so let's just talk Silver. Give us the elevator pitch about Silver. Okay. So so basically, Silver is our implementation of Apple's Swift language, mm-hmm. which you most people probably are familiar with by this time. Sure. Um, so basically, uh, Apple announced Swift last year at, at the conference in June. Uh, obviously, is their Swift supports developing for iOS and Mac. And because we are working on cross-platform compilers, we thought it would be interesting to bring the Swift language over to other platforms as well, particularly to .NET and to Java and Android. So that's what we did. And that's what Silver is, basically. And so the website says you can share a lot of non-UI code between platforms. Yeah. I mean, it depends sort of on, on what level uh, you're, you're working at. So what we specifically don't do is we, we don't port the, the whole Cocoa framework over to sure. .NET and to Java, right? So, so sure. the idea is really we're bringing the language over, but no matter what platform you're working on, you're always working with, with the platforms that the language provides. So if you're writing Swift code for, for .NET, you're using the same classes that you would use, you would use in C Sharp or VB or any of the other .NET languages out there, right? That's amazing. So, you know, usually we hear about stuff coming the other direction over to the Mac and iOS and all of that from the .NET world, but you're going in the other opposite direction. You've been obviously programming your way around iOS and, and Mac OS X for a long time, have you not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we sort of we, we went the other direction as well in, in the past because we, when we you mentioned before, we, we started with Oxygen, which is our own language that we sort of invented on top of uh Object Pascal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started with that. Uh, it's over over ten years now. Uh, so two thousand four, I think it was. Um, and basically, that that started out as a .NET compiler, and then we moved that to Java as well, and then moved it also to to cover Cocoa and and uh, for Mac and iOS. 
And then last year we, we did the same thing with C sharp. So we implemented C sharp on top of our compiler engine for .NET, which of course isn't very exciting because C sharp for .NET exists. But then with that, we, we were able to support C sharp on, on Java and Android and on Mac as well. And now with Swift, we're sort of doing the, the backwards approach where it's, it's just a third language in our compiler, but because mm. obviously it's, it originated on, on the Mac and iOS side, that's coming back to .NET and Java now. And you're not really a fan of true cross-platform apps, right? Once, right once run anywhere, are you? I'm not really, no. And then I think if you ask around, like most, most really dedicated developers on Mac and iOS and also on Android, uh, and other platforms aren't really either, right? I mean, you, you really, our philosophy is you really got to learn the platform and write something that's specific to, to the platform you're dealing with. Right. Even if you're writing an app that eventually you want to support on all the platforms, on each platform, you got to sort of take a step back and look how, how does this platform work and how do I bring what I want to implement over to this specific platform, right? So Xamarin Forms comes to mind, which is, you know, a, a tool set that we use in C Sharp from uh, Xamarin to build sort of very simple UIs that go across multiple platforms. And you're right. I mean, they they do look very simple. You don't have a lot of control. You can't make things look like, you know, completely like they're n- native, even though they are, just because the subset that you have to, to code with is sort of constrained. Right, yeah. So, so Xamarin started sort of... Uh Taking, taking our approach, uh, on, on the GUI side, but, but they, basically they, they brought the whole .NET framework over and said, okay, you're always going to be writing .NET code, even for Android and for iOS. But on top of that, they said, you're still going to do native GUI for each of the platforms. That, that was like the first approach, right? And then basically on top of that, later on, they brought the Xamarin forms where they said, okay, now you can even design one UI for all the platforms. Right? Yeah. And, and, and we sort of think, I mean, there's, there's certain use cases for where you want to do this, but I think for most like real quality apps, that's not something you really want to do. And you really want to design the UI uh, for each platform specifically. So what parts of silver then are portable between your iOS implementation and the Android implementation? Well, there's the, the, the sort of two levels. I mean, for, first of all, I mean, the, the language is the same, right? So any right. code you write that doesn't use any, any platform specific classes, uh, is going to compile on any platform. So that's like your business logic. If you're just writing an algorithm or like a class hierarchy to represent your data model, things like that. I mean, those right. are just classes, uh, and they don't like, they're not tied to the platform. And of course, as soon as you start using platform APIs, be, be it, be it user inter- interface APIs or even lower level stuff like, I don't know, Say system.xml on .net or, I know, NS dictionary on Cocoa and things like that. Obviously, you're starting to tie yourself to the platform, right? And we, we, we do have a solution for that level as well. So basically what we have is optionally, we provide a sort of a, a low level class library that provides common classes you can use on all the platforms. So we, we have our own dictionary class and XML class and HTTP classes and things like that. So you, you can, you can use those to write code that then compiles on all the platforms as well. But the main focus is really on, 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 on the language and, and basically allowing you to use one language uh, on all the platforms. And also, Silver isn't just a compiler, but a complete tool chain and development environment for creating apps. So there's a, an IDE as well, right? Right, yeah. So, so on, on, on Windows, we integrate with Visual Studio, um, which we've been doing for, for 10 years with the other languages. Mm. And basically, uh, Silver just goes in as well. So you get the same experience 
um, you get with Visual C Sharp or Visual Basic, and again, or uh, Oxygen or our C Sharp compiler, uh, all the all the bells and whistles of the Visual Studio IDE. Uh, and you, except the only thing that's different is the language, right? Um, and yeah. on the Mac, we're currently working on on our own IDE uh, called Fire that that's currently in beta. Uh, that we've written from the, from the ground up to sort of provide an IDE there as well. So Swift supports iOS and OS X, right? Yes. So using Silver, you could use Visual Studio to write an OS X app. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So basically, you you, you can target uh, basically any any of the .NET platforms, so .NET itself or WinRT, Windows Phone, and all that. You can target uh, Java and Android with 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 the Java backend and with the with the Cocoa backend. You can target both macOS and iOS. Now, do you need to have a Mac to do the building like you do with Xamarin? You do, yeah. I mean, I guess for for the Mac, you probably could build just on Windows. I mean, you're just not going to get anywhere in terms of debugging or running, of course. But for iOS, there's actually limitations that that Apple doesn't doesn't yeah. allow you to do the code signing and all the packaging and all that uh, right. on Windows. Um, so there's, there's actually a technical and a legal limitation. So even right. if we could sort of hack around it, which we didn't even try, you'd still need a Mac to build. But we, we sort of abstracted away, though. We, we've got a little tool that you just run on your Mac, and then from Visual Studio, it's going to connect over the network and just just do this automatically for you. So you, you just hit, you just hit a five in Visual Studio, and it's going to compile and build a link, and then you see the app coming up on your Mac or on your iPhone. Wow. Uh, and we, we abstract all the communication away for you. And so your ID is called Fire, is it not? Yeah. And yes. Cool. And yeah, I'm looking at it right here on your website, which is uh, elementscompiler.com slash elements slash silver. And uh, there's some, some really great stuff here. I'm just trying to get my head around the idea that I could be working in Visual Studio on with Apple's language to build iOS and Android apps. I love it. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Windows apps, yeah. Visual Studio is awesome, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. And built for that kind of extensibility. It's just an interesting place to be. But, you know, I originally thought this would be a cross-platform mobile show. It could be cross-platform anything then. And you can get to the Mac. You can get to anywhere you want to go. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, wow. It's a different world than even just last year, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden. Right. Yeah, you could even do like ASP.NET or JSP server stuff and things like that, yeah. So what's the runtime? Oh, because you're just compiling to the to the CLR anyway. I don't need to put anything on my server. It's just an assembly. Fire it up. Right. Yeah. So so if if you're doing a .NET project, it's just yeah. Like, like if you look at the assembly, you, you you probably wouldn't be able to tell if it was written in C sharp or or Silver, right? We just compile to the same IL code, and the same goes on Java. So if you build a Java or an Android app, we just compile compile straight to Java bytecode, and and the output is going to look exactly the same as if you used the Java language. Is there any difference between your Swift uh, syntax-wise and Swift Swift? Uh, it's pretty close. I mean, there, there's a couple couple things here and there. Obviously, for sort of, we gotta account for some platform difference. For example, mm-hmm. right now Apple Swift doesn't have exception handling, but of course you don't get very far on on .NET and Java without you know, being able to you know, at least catch exceptions. But eventually, you also want to throw them and things like that. So we so we added a couple extensions for that. Wait a minute. So Swift doesn't have exception handling? That's right, yeah. So they just, because we don't write bugs. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> the idea is you're not supposed to use exceptions, but I know, different mechanisms such as I know, passing back error codes or things like that. Oh, but, yeah. I see, I see. Uh, I, I, I do agree that exception, I think, I think exceptions are pretty crucial to modern, modern development, so yeah. we, we do support them. Well, especially when you're dealing with an environment that's occasionally connected, right? Like that's a very normal exception handling problem. 
Right. I mean, I guess it sort of depends on the APIs you have, right? I mean, you could, I mean, like, like your network library can des- can be designed in a way that it, it's not going to throw an exception, but it's going to, I don't know, give you a callback to something if an error happens, right? And, right. And that's sort of the way to do it in in Swift. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, if if you if you're working on .NET or or Java, you're going to be working with whatever classes are out there already. So you're going to be using I don't know System .Web or whatever, and obviously those those are designed with with throwing exceptions in mind. So. Mm-hmm. We got we got to have support for catching those, and and so we do. And iterators are a little different as well. Yeah, actually, I, I don't I don't think Swift has support for iterators, but but we we have an extension for that as well. So you you can define iterators uh, okay. in, in in our implementation of Swift. Let's dive into exactly what that means. Does I mean we obviously can iterate over things? Is it just arrays in Swift, and that's pretty much it, or do we have things like lists and collections, dictionaries? Well, 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 well. Again, you're dealing with the standard platforms, right? So, so if you're compiling for, again, if you're using using Silver to write a Swift app on on .NET, then you got your, I don't know, generic list of T and dictionary and sequences mm. and, and 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 enumerables and all all, all that good stuff. Uh, so it's basically all all the same classes. All right, and those don't exist in Swift. Well, I mean, again, I mean, I mean, you got to make a distinction between Swift, the language, and and, and the platform, right? So, right. so I mean, Swift is just the syntax, basically, right? Okay, but if I guess so, what I'm saying is, if you're writing a Swift app on a Mac for iOS, you don't have any iterators at all. Well, you don't have iterators like 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 the language concept, as in implementing an iterator with that. I mean, which is made really nice by the or in simple with the syntax you have in C sharp and in other .NET languages. You don't have that. I mean, you do have the concept of like i enumerable like things that can be iterated over, right? I see, but you don't have an actual iterator with a capital I. No, no, you don't. So, right. so basically, if you if you want to implement your own enumerable class, you'd have to sort of do it do it the hard way. I mean, like you would have done in I don't know, what was it .NET two before yep. they added the iterator. Sure, right? okay. And partial classes, you've added support for that. Yeah, well, well sort of. I mean, so Swift sort of has the the concept of extension classes, which is much more. Much more elaborate than extension methods are on .NET, and so we, we sort of piggybacked on that, and, and and we use that to sort of do the same thing as partial classes do. But yeah, I mean, partial like the concept of partial classes is pretty is pretty crucial if you want yeah. to do like I know WPF and things like that, sure, and, and ASP.NET. So we yeah we we do support that. And you added events as well, multicast .NET style multicast events. Yeah. Again, you 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 kind of do need those if you want right. to write any .NET code and interact with with the existing APIs. But the coolest thing I'm seeing on this list is await. Yeah, no, of course, <laughs> can't do without, right? So you've added await to Swift. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I'm feeling like your Silver is the superset of Swift. <laughs> Definitely, it is. It is. Yeah. Do you know a lot of Swift people? Do they like this? Uh, Modification, you know your, your yeah, implementation. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've had we've had an, an enormous uh, influx of people to our beta. So we we opened the beta. I think it was like two or three weeks ago, uh, and we've we've got we've got lots of people signing up for that, and and people really seem to like it. Yeah, and we're recording this March thirteenth, so do the math. Very cool. Also, I'm looking. There's three more inline functions. Yeah, I mean that's really just like a sort of this really just a flag on a function, so it right. sort of have to compile. I don't even know if C sharp has those. I don't. I don't think it does. Does no, it? I don't think so. No, but we well, we have anonymous methods. I guess it's maybe similar. No, 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 no. no actually, actually, inline is more like uh, that. It, it causes the compiler to, to to embed the code in in the way you call it. So so basically, you declare a function, but it's 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 not gonna 
get emitted as a separate function, but like right. when you use it, the code is just going to go in, in the place where you called it. So that, that's useful for like, if you have really simple function that you don't want the overhead of a method call and you'd rather have it embedded in five places in your code. Yeah. Um, so right. this is not really, not really the same as anonymous methods, but obviously Swift, Swift has those two. Actually, Swift is embraces that, that pretty, pretty deeply, even more so than, than C sharp. So more like a lambda? Pretty much use. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so so, so lambdas. You, you use those you know, okay. pretty much everywhere. All right. So mapped types. Tell us about that. Yeah. So mapped types are are a pretty unique concept we added to the compiler back back for Oxygen, um, and it, it's really more something we use internally, and not something that that many people are going to be writing their own. But the the idea is that you can take an existing type, and you can sort of present it with a different phase. Um, what I mean by that is, I mean, I talked before about how we have sort of, uh, standard types you can use across the different platforms like dictionaries and, and sort of HTTP access and XML parsing, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the ideas with a map type is you, I mean, all, all the platforms already have stuff like a dictionary, but the thing is just they look different, right? So you can't just write, if I write code and say new NS dictionary on, on Coco, then it's not going to compile because on 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 .NET, the dictionary class is not going to be called NS dictionary. It's going to be called System Generic Dictionary. Sure. Right? And then like the methods are going to be slightly different, and the semantics of I know do I going to am I going to get an exception if I try to get an unknown key, an undefined key, or am I going to get back nil things like that? Those are going to be different, um, and there's lots of variation. And basically, what what map types allow us to do is basically create a Sort of define a new type and say, okay, this is our, this is a dictionary class and I want these methods to be implemented. And I'm going to internally, I'm going to map this to the actual dictionary classes that exist on the platform. So now basically we've got this library called sugar, which, which is basically where we have all those classes that are reusable across the platform. So you can write code and say, use sugar.dictionary. And, and this is the API for, for this, this dictionary class. And it's going to be the same on all three platforms. Mm. But but we didn't really write a dictionary class. We we just created a mapping to the three dictionary classes that exist on the different platforms. So you okay. actually your, your code is actually running against the system dictionary on on .NET or NS dictionary on Coco. Um, but you can still write one set of code, and and the, basically the compiler is just going to sort of do the magic of sort of calling the right methods in the background instead of the methods you think you're calling. Yeah, there's an interesting game you've got to play here between resisting Swift's natural tendencies and supporting what's expected for, say, a .NET developer or even a Java developer. Definitely, yeah, yeah. You know, and I point to the exception handling thing right off the bat because it's not like Swift and Apple don't have a plan for how do you deal with occasional connection failures. It's that they don't do with an exception handling. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean again, it again boils sort of down to the difference, like, like what's the language and what's sort of the the platform paradigms. Right. right? And, and, yes. And, and, and to some to some degree, of course, they're, they're they're driven by each other. Like, like the way. I mean, obviously, even the Apple platform, obviously, the currently all the APIs that are there predate Swift, right? So, so Swift yeah. is just the language, and you're using the the APIs that were designed for Objective C. But I'm, moving yes. forward, I'm sure that Apple is going to start designing new APIs, and they're going to be sort of designed with the mindset that that sort of fits in well with swift and again that, that that's going to be different than sort of how microsoft might design the same api yeah and, and i totally get this idea of i mean you've got 
Swift the language and its normal sets of constructs. And obviously, you need to learn each platform. There's no way around that. The platform is the platform. But I'm almost feeling like there's a philosophy difference here, too, about how they approach certain problems in Swift that may not line up with what we know in our own platforms. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and yeah, you're right. We, we sort of got to find the right level to sort of f- find find the right sort of balance between when you're dealing with .NET using the the Swift language. You want to there's some things you want to or you got to do the .NET way, but but you you might also want to sort of embrace some Swift paradigms. Right. Sort of depending mm-hmm. on what level of code you're working at. And I love that you called this library sugar because <laughs> it's sugar for the syntax deep down. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, and again, it's all these things that I'm familiar with, like collections and so forth, and how they map across this. You're, like, you're absorbing some very fundamental language differences across these different platforms for us. Right, yeah. And, 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 and one of the nice things about the, about the map classes that Sugar uses is that, uh, because, because you're essentially using the platform classes underneath, right. you, you can, you can basically cast those toll, toll free between the Sugar class and the actual class. So, so, so say you're writing, say you're writing an, uh, like, like a Windows phone app and an iOS app, right? And you, yep. you're, you're sharing your, you're, you're writing your business logic and you, you're writing that code using Sugar dictionary and Sugar list and like Sugar, I know XML or whatever classes you you, you might <laughs> want to use, right. but then you're writing you're writing your UI layer in uh, specific to 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 .NET and specific to to Cocoa. Yep. Uh, and and on that level, you might suddenly find you want to have an, an NS dictionary because you want to pass that to some some Cocoa API, say for I know storing it in iCloud or something, right? Yep. And because it's essentially the same class, the same class, you can have code that's 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 written to return a sugar dictionary. And you can just assign that to something that requires an NS dictionary on the on the iOS specific side, and right. and, and that's just going to work seamlessly without like converting the dictionary to an, to another copy of the dictionary and things like that. No, you're strongly encouraging me to use the sugar classes wherever possible because I won't have to rewrite that on the other platforms. Right? Yeah. No, but but, I, but what I'm saying, what I'm saying is like in, in the places where you, where you can't use the sugar classes, you 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 can pass them as if they were the the regular classes, right? as if they were common across them. Yeah. Now, I think that's really interesting. Hey, Richard. Hey, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Time to stir sugar into my coffee, Tom said sweetly. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that's a that little thing is called a Tom Swifty. Yep. Yeah, it's a joke where the adverb is a is a sort of a play on the sentence. Yes. Yes. Pass the honey, honey. Well, pass the honey, Tom said sweetly. Right. Yeah. I can't find an electrical cord, Tom said shockingly. <laughs> okay. Now you get it. Yeah. I got it's it. It's actually time. Oh, my God. That was terrible. It's actually <laughs> time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Telerik Next. Telerik Next is the first annual global developer and customer conference from Telerik, held at the prestigious Hyatt Boston Harbor Conference Center in Boston, Massachusetts, May 4th and 5th. Telerik invites you to come and join with developers from around the world to learn about modern app development, Telerik tools, and best practices. From web to mobile to desktop, no platform will be left behind. Register today at TelerikNext.com to reserve your conference pass, plus the attendee party. 
at the Science Center and special keynote from Mythbusters host Grant Imahara. Early bird tickets are now on sale for $450. Use the promo code NETROCKS for $50 off that price. Awesome, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Jeremy Cook. Congratulations, Jeremy. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Yeah, and Jeremy just won the Telerik DevCraft Collection, a great big pile of awesome from Telerik. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 shopping spree, a technology shopping spree, to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And Mark, we also like to ask our guests, what would you buy with $5,000 today? That's a good question. Um, if you had to spend it on technology. Yeah, so I don't know if I, don't know if I can fill up the whole 5000 but but two things. I'm You're a Mac user, of course you can. Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> I guess. No. But was, so, so two things I'm currently pretty excited about is, of course, the Apple Watch that's coming next month. Okay, there's five grand uh, right there. Oh, <laughs> nah, not really. I, I'm, not a, not, not, I'm not much into gold is the problem, so that's going to be tricky to spend that much money. Yeah. Uh, I'm also looking at the new MacBook that they introduced last week. That yeah. was pretty, pretty, pretty nifty. The MacBook Air with one USB port to rule them all? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I'm not really much, a, much of a big hard disk plugger inner, so I'm, I'm going to yeah. be fine with that. But I'm really looking forward to getting a Retina display finally. Yeah. So yeah. I've been... Plugging along with my old, with my old MacBook Air and the display is getting kind of <laughs> fuzzy. Yeah, yeah. The, that 5K Mac is the 5K resolution all-in-one Mac is really interesting. And now Dell's got a 5K standalone monitor, although you have to use two DisplayPort cables to actually run it. <laughs> wow! But 5,000 5K resolution is insane. Yeah, that, that, that's an awesome display too. I looked at that at the, at the Apple Store the other day, and that it was a mistake. I felt really bad getting back to my computer after that. Oh, it ruins you. <laughs> yeah. Once you know how good something can look, you're just like, all oh, other monitors suck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I got my nice Mac Pro here, so I don't really want to. I don't really want the iMac. So there you go. <laughs> I'm safe there. It's true. Um, I looked at the aspects part of the uh, element set, and it was interesting to me. I mean, Aspidorian program is interesting anyway. Maybe we got to start at the beginning on this, yeah. because the .NET dependency is really interesting to me. So what are we doing with aspects? Well, so, 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 so basically, the, the idea is aspects, I mean, you can think of them sort of as like attributes, like .NET-style attributes on steroids, right? So, right. so the idea is you can you can write attributes that you can attach to classes and, and, and methods and whatnot. Um, but instead of just adding metadata, like, like regular attributes do, uh, these actually cause, cause, cause the aspect to be loaded into the compiler at compile time and, and run and, and you can, you can write code that actually modifies your code. So you, you could write an aspect, say, say, say a logging X aspect. And then if you attach that to a method, then the compiler as it compiles your code, it's going to spin up the, the aspect. And then your aspect gets to like maybe insert a couple of console write lines at, in, in, into the method. So to, you've implemented aspect oriented programming into it. AOP. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And in the documentation, I can see that it says it depends on .NET. Well, the, the, the thing is the, the, the compiler runs, the, the compiler is written in .NET, right? So, right. so no matter what platform you're compiling for, uh, the compiler is always going to be running on .NET or yeah. on Mono um, if you're on Mac, on, on the Mac. Mm -hmm. And uh, so basically, if you write your aspect, you got to, you got to implement the aspect in .NET because that's going to be 
not compiled into your application, but it's going to be hosted in the compiler and then at compile time, the compiler runs it. So it's got to be .NET for that reason. But of course, you can apply the aspect to your code on, on Java or on Cocoa as well. It's just, it, it, it needs to run in, in inside the compiler. That, that's why it's going to be written in .NET. So the the logging code that I'm going to write for this aspect has got to be written in .NET? Well, no, 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 not the logging code, but 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 but, but basically, you, you're going to be writing code that says, "Okay, look at the method. What does the method do? These are the parameters, and and now emit like these two two new lines of code, right? And, right. And, and and the logic for that is going to be written in 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 .NET. Okay. So you also had to work around some differences in the way Swift handles arrays and dictionaries, which I guess are structs in Silver, and you had to make them classes. Is that re- accurate? Yeah, so so they're, 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 they're structs in Apple Swift, and we we had to make them classes. We're actually not really happy about that, and that's actually like one of the the biggest complaints we we heard from a couple of people here and there. Uh, that, but but the, the the problem is that uh, dot net and I think Java as well, but I I know for sure that dot net like the, the 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 runtime lacks certain certain functionality we would need to actually implement arrays. Uh, as, as structs in, in, a, in, a, in a way that would actually still perform well because you'd, you'd want like copy and write semantics, right? So right. if you assign the struct to, to, to another struct, you wouldn't want to copy the whole array every time. You'd want to wait till someone actually modifies the struct and, and, and then, and only then sort of make, make a copy, uh, as needed. And is that what Swift does? That's what Swift does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the problem is that, I mean, we, we, we sort of could implement that, uh, in .NET on our own level like as, as long as you're using our compiler for everything mm. that'd be fine but but then sooner or later you might want to pass your struct to to some to some api in the net library right so you want to say you have a list of t with with that struct type and you want to put those structs in there and then of course we can influence what what those like like how the .NET runtime is going to handle those structs internally, right? And and, and .NET doesn't have a have a concept of a, like a copy constructor or something like that, like like C has or other platforms have. So so basically, it boils down to we, we couldn't really. I mean, we could have implemented the the arrays as structs, obviously, but they would have been copied every single time, and mm. they would have been completely useless performance. Yeah, sure, wise, right, sure. And and the the string threw you for a loop because you know strings are like the bane of every programmer especially cross-platform programmers you know they're they're so different from even language to language yeah we, we're still sort of debating what we want to do there so so what what we did with 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 the other two languages again we we have oxygen uh, and of course then see last year we brought c sharp to the three platforms and what, what we did there is that basically string just maps to the native string type so on .NET, string looks like system.string on, on including all the functions that it has all the methods and all the like how you index it and how it works and and the same on, on java it's just, it's java.lang.string and mm. on on cocoa it's, it's just maps to ns string and and all three of those are are utf16 based and they're immutable on all three platforms so so that that fits sort of well and we sort of sort of just told people okay you just got to live with that those those classes are going to have different apis uh, on the different platforms right yeah. so on cocoa it's going to be dot lowercase string and on dot net it's going to be too low uh, too lower right yeah, yeah things like that and and, and right, right right now this, the same is true for, for for silver so if you use silver uh the, the the string type is actually the string type as it exists on the three platforms um so we're, okay. we're still debating whether whether to sort of change that and sort of like do a sugar like thing where we sort of create a map type that looks more like the silver string or not i mean there's 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 pros and cons for both so we're sort of Still sort of debating what we want to do there. Yeah, I mean, there's some deep 
issues there when you go cross platform that that really will impact how you know how these things perform in the future. I mean, you sort of have to anticipate what people are going to do with them and how they're going to be used. I can't imagine that's an easy problem. Yeah, and I think I think that sort of the the, the main target audience for us really is is, is not people who want to like compile their project with Apple Swift for Mac and then with our Swift for for Java yeah. and .NET, but really that the people just use our compiler for all three. I mean, sure. I mean, why not, right? I mean, once you're in, once you're in, just go in the whole way. And then at that point, it doesn't really matter if string behaves slightly different than in Apple Swift, as long as it behaves consistently across the three platforms you're targeting, right? Did you have a problem with nullable types? Was that a headache? Not really. I mean, I, I guess our compiler guys might might say it was a headache, but I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, Swift handles those pretty differently, so we we had to do some some thinking and some and some some trickery there. Um, so maybe as a background, so so basically in in Swift, if you use a if, if you use a type name, that's always going to be non-nullable. So if you say, I know var x colon ui button, then even though ui button is a class, it's still going to that variable still can't be null, and then you got to put a question mark or an exclamation point after it for it to be null. And, and the same goes for value types. So basically Swift, Swift doesn't have this, this, this distinction between what's a value type and what's a reference type for, mm-hmm. for this logic. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, in C Sharp and, and in, in Oxygen, it, across all, all three platforms, it, it behaves just, just like in, C, in, in Visual C Sharp, where basically an integer is always going to be it's always going to have a value on, say, you want, unless you say you want it nullable, right? Yeah. While, a, say, a, a button is always going to be nullable, uh, well, I mean, in, in, in Visual C Sharp, you don't actually don't have a way to say it's not going to be nullable, right? Um, so we sort of had to, had to sort of do a little trickery here and there, but, but basically we, we, we've, we've got this pretty much ported so that, that it works as you would expect in Swift. So basically you, you got to put your question marks there if you want it nullable. Um, and you got to make, uh, got to, got to leave them away if, if you, if you don't. Mm. And we actually backported that both to, both to our Oxygen language and, and to our C Sharp implementation as well. So you can, you can now make class references in, in Oxygen and in, in our C Sharp version, uh, non-nullable, uh, by sort of putting, putting an exclamation point instead of the question mark behind them in C Sharp. And in Oxygen is more keyword based. So we have just, you can just say non-nullable and then the type name. Should we talk a little bit about Oxygen? Cause it sounds like you guys are the only ones still in love with Pascal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't say the only ones, but yeah, yeah. I mean, pa- Pascal is an awesome language. I mean, it's an awesome like, language. I mean, the, 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 the things is sort of like, like pe- people hear Pascal and they think, oh, it's 1969 again, right? Right. But I mean, pa- Pascal has evolved a lot. I mean, I mean, we, we came sort of from a Delphi background. I mean, De- Delphi really evolved Pascal quite a bit between yeah. like, like in, in, in the 90s, basically, right? And yeah. Like, now it, it's, it's sort of got the same place as VB. You know, before managed languages, it was VB and, and and Delphi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 to be honest, like 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 back then, before .NET came out, I mean, Delph, Delphi was pretty much the the tool to build Windows apps, right? Like, I mean, right. You, you couldn't find anything better. I mean, let's not talk about M- MFC, right? Oh God, no. <laughs> uh, MFC was the uh, Objective C of its day, right? Yeah, I, I actually quite like Objective C, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Ah, okay. It, but. <laughs> <laughs> and here you are with a Swift implementation. What does that say? <laughs> yeah, we, we actually, we, I mean, be, 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 before Swift came out, we were actually loosely thinking about bringing Objective C over to the other platforms be, be, before right. Apple announced Swift last year. But yeah. But I mean, I agree. I mean, Objective C sort of, I mean, it, it has got, it, it's got its ugly awards, but I, I think it has some nice concepts. I mean, 
you, you could tell it's age, right? But yeah, it is an older language, no two ways about. But then one would argue that was true for Pascal too. So, what have you done in Oxygen to make it fresh? Delphi did a lot in terms of like bringing object orientation to to the language interfaces and things like that. And then then, then Delphi sort of stopped innovating the language back around to the two thousands, right? And that, that's basically when yeah. we started Oxygen around the same time that .NET came out, like a couple of years later. Um, and and, and we, we we just kept kept innovating and, and and adding new stuff on top of it. I mean, like like we have link support and generics, and I mean pretty much I mean like anything you can do in C sharp, sure you can do in Oxygen, and, and and oftentimes you can do it better and nicer and and with more flexibility. Like for example, we, I mean C C sharp is getting what what they call the Elvis operator in in version six now. Yeah, right. right. And, and 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 that's an awesome operator. And and actually Silver has that too and uses the same syntax as C sharp. But but we actually added that to the language to Oxygen like I think it was like four or five years ago, and so we we use the colon instead of the question mark dot uh, because I mean we don't have the question mark for nullable types, and so so like we didn't have the the history for that in in Oxygen. So basically instead of instead of dot you just use a colon in Oxygen, but but that gives you the same thing where you can call something uh, on a nullable on, on something that that might be nil, and you're not going to get an exception. It's just going to sort of skip the rest. That's that's going to be. So it's going to skip the left hand, the right hand expression, basically. Right. So Oxygen is also cross-platform. Is that it? Yeah. So 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 basically, all all, all the languages are based on on the same compiler, right? So so basically, okay. we, we just have three. We have three different front ends for the compiler. So that's Oxygen, uh, C Sharp, and, and Silver, and and all of those target all the languages. Okay. Wait a minute. Now, now I'm really really curious. So you're <laughs> saying everything we've been talking about with Swift. We can use C Sharp in Visual Studio and get the same. That, that's correct. You can use C Sharp and compile for Android and Java and Mac and iOS. Yes. Well, well okay. Yeah, I totally <laughs> missed that. How did I miss that, Richard? It's <laughs> not um, it, because it's too incredible to believe. How about that? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the story here. You know, uh, 46 minutes in, yeah, it's not real. I thought this show was going to be for Swift developers that, you know, wow. The, and now, okay, Visual Studio, but no, no, no. You can do all this in C Sharp too. What? We actually had that for about a year now. Yeah. So we, we shipped uh, the Sharp compiler in March last year, I think. Yeah. All right. So if you want to write in Swift, you want to write it in C Sharp, or you want to write it in Oxygen, do you say Oxygen? We say Oxygen, yeah. So we, we, we basically it's pronounced just like the, we pronounce it just like the okay. regular English word. It's just but there's the an extra there E for, on the end, yeah. Yeah, the extra E. That's basically because it came from a code name for the for the language back, and that was based on a on a, on a song title, and we just sort of kept that. But we we pronounced it Oxygen, but we kept the E sort of set it apart. So on the in the C sharp Visual Studio space, you guys are competing head to head with uh, with Xamarin. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, again, again, we sort of I mean, everything we discussed, like what's what's different, what our approach applies to C sharp as well, right? So, well, Xamarin takes tells you basically Xamarin lets you write .NET code for all the platforms. Our our C sharp targets the platforms natively, right? So you're writing real real Java API code or real Cocoa code um, in C sharp. Mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What language would you like to program in? We'll go anywhere yeah. you want. And, and the nice thing is even you, you can you can actually mix all three languages in the same project if you want to. So of course can, you can. It's the, same, it's the same compiler. So we, we just go by file extensions. So if you've got a CS file, it's going to be C Sharp. And if you've got an Oxy, uh, not pass file, it's going to be Oxygen. And if you've got a Swift file, it's going to be Swift. And you can just write... Actually, you can even write like a partial... You could write a partial class and one half is Oxygen and one half is Swift. And we only have 15 minutes left and I have so many questions now. Um, <laughs> we can always do a follow-up. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of comments on this. Um, 
So the C-sharp that you have is not Microsoft C-sharp. It is your C-sharp, right? Right, yeah. So, so basically, we implemented C sharp. I mean, again, we, we just like with Swift, we we try, we try to stay as close to the to the spec uh, uh, as as we could with C sharp. Um, again, again, we we do have a couple extensions. Again, less than with than, than we did with Swift. Like for example, exception handling was there, things like yeah. that. Of course. So you have extensions, but what about things that are not there? Are are there, is there anything missing from your C sharp? Uh, I don't think so. No. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So you got link, you've got all of that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I, I guess if one thing is missing is that we don't. I mean, like on the other platforms, you don't have like the full like the backend library for link, right? I mean, because link is sort of a mixture between language feature and platform feature, right? So what what we did is we sort of we ported some of the language, the platform features to uh to Coco and and Java. So you you have like dot where dot select and, and and those things, and you can use them with link expressions. But but we don't like have the full the full breadth of, of, of the whole link library right. that's, that, that's in, that's in, that's available on .NET, but that's really a platform limitation, not a, not a language limitation, so to speak. And we have, we have C sharp, so we're not going to be able to reference any .NET compiled assemblies, right? You would have to have the source and then compile them in RAM objects, C sharp, right? C- correct, yeah. But, but on the plus side, you, you can reference any, any Java assemblies if you're, if you're writing f- for Android, or you can reference any, any Objective-C or, uh, Cocoa libraries, of course, and, and, and plain C libraries too on, on Mac and iOS. Okay. But not .NET, right? No, no, not, not on the other two platforms. No. All right. I mean, that, that's, that's the key difference. So you, 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 you're not, I mean, that's sort of Xamarin, right? So we, yeah, you're yeah. always building .NET, but with us, you're not, you're not, I mean, basically, it's got nothing to do with .NET if you're doing a C-sharp project yes, for, for the Mac or for iOS. It's a pure Cocoa project. In, in fact, Fire, our IDE, is, is completely written in C-sharp. Wow. But if, you know, you like to use a, your favorite open source tool or something that you normally just add a reference to an assembly, if you get the source off GitHub or whatever, you could compile it as a uh, RemObject C-sharp library, and now you've got it, right? Hopefully, yeah. I mean, it would, it would depend on sort of what, like, what platform libraries the, the code yeah. uses, of course. But, but if it's, if it's like plain, plain C sharp, you can, you can do that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And we also got a nifty tool, um, where you can, where we, we can, we can convert code from the different languages for you. So if you got, say, Objective C code and you want to bring that over to C sharp or Swift or Oxygen, you can, you can just sort of select it and just paste it in and it's going to be converted for you on the fly. With sort of limitations, but you guys are mad geniuses. <laughs> mad, we mad, try. mad, mad! I tell you. Okay, yeah. now here's the question: What does it cost? Well, Swift is actually free. So, so our our, our, our so Silver, our Swift compiler is going to be free for all the platforms. Uh, and Oxygen and C Sharp, they're both commercial product projects uh, products, and they they sell for four ninety nine currently for new users. That's actually a sort of introductory price for the new version we just shipped. Um, and you can get them together for seven ninety nine. And that's one time. There's no yearly, annual, or any subscription price, right? That's a one time fee. Well, basically, that, that that gives you the license, and that gives you one one year of updates. But but the product is going to keep keep working. But but basically, after a year, if you want further upgrades, we hope you're going to renew to get more updates. But but it's not a subscription in that your product is going to expire. I see. Wow, mine's still blown. Yeah, well, and you can't argue with that price <laughs> either, considering price. what some other products cost. Yeah, it's a great price. So, uh, wow, where do we go from here, Richard? I mean, I, I'm just sort of going blah, 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 blah over here. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it is a lot. There's no two ways to take it. So is Visual Studio sort of your preferred dev environment for all of this, or where else can you go live? 
Could I could I be working in Sublime? Well, I mean, we we we, we do have a command line compiler, so you, you can right. like, work in your favorite text editor and 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 build from there. But I mean, right. I, I think if you're on, if you're on Windows, then Visual Studio is is the best place to go because we got all the tool chain integrated. Yes. Again, you, you can just press S five and it's going to run. And we also got debugging integrated as well, so you can debug on Android and Java and, and Cocoa right from Visual Studio, and you get all the all the debugging experience you expect from the Visual Studio debugger. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I want to see a breakpoint set in uh, uh, Silver and just drop into that breakpoint. Yeah, you, you you can just do that. Yeah, in 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 fact, you could even like say say you're writing an Android app and you're using a library that. That's written in Java, right? You could actually step in if you got if you got the source code for that. You could actually in Visual Studio, you could even step into that Java library as well. Awesome! That won't freak anybody out. No. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> wowie, wowie, wow! So, how far along is Silver at this point? Is it? Are you going to come out of beta anytime soon? Yeah. So, so our our current plan is to come out of beta probably next month. I mean, again, it's of course going to be an ongoing process to keep up with. I mean, Apple Apple said they're gonna they're gonna evolve Swift pretty rapidly. I mean, they they, right. they just shipped a shipped a Swift one point two, uh, well not not shipped, but uh, like released the first beta, yeah, uh, with with new features that, that we already support, of course. Um, so I mean, I mean, like pretty much all our products, I mean, they're they're in constant they're in constant development. They're always getting better, but we we sort of ship hoping to ship the first non beta version uh, in April. Wow, that's great. So uh, one other question on the C sharp side of things. What about Rosalind? Yeah, I mean, lots of people ask us like, like, why don't you guys use Rosalind as a compiler, right? But the, right. the thing is, I mean, again, we started this ten years ago, right? And right. We've, we've got ten years of background of our own compiler with with, with Oxygen. And again, Swift, Swift and C sharp really, really are just. I mean, my compiler guys are gonna gonna beat me for saying just, but I mean, they're just front ends for the same compiler, right? I mean, obviously, right. Lots of work went in those, but I mean, they're still using the same compiler engine. So, I mean, one one, one takeaway from that is that that, that 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 even though Swift is in beta right now and it's going to be sort of version one point when it ships next month, yes, it, it's still built on on a solid foundation, and this compiler is rock solid and has been in use for ten years by people, right? Yeah, it's the cornerstone of what you've done here. You obviously have an amazing compiler. You just built different languages against it, and and Roslyn is exactly. a completely different compiler. To re-engineer for this would be a huge amount of work. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. We'd basically be throwing everything away and starting from scratch, yeah. Awesome. Wow. Uh, I, I think uh, you're going to be talking to us again and again. That's what I I'd think. I'd love to, yeah. Yeah. Great. Mark Hoffman, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, go get it. Check it out. Rem Objects. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a